Welcome to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. This week's message is The Art of Neighboring, Part 3, The Fear Factor, recorded Sunday, August 22, 2021. If you have a story about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Now here's Dan with today's message. About 10 years ago, I was uh, at the Grand Canyon with 10 college students and uh, sweaty palms the whole way there because I'm not so much of that kind of a person. And we get there and there's not too many people at the, at the lookout point that we're at, but there's also no railing. And so I noticed that and I'm a little nervous about it. And, and I'm, I'm standing there and I'm standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, right? But these 10 college students had scooted to a ledge about 10 feet below me a ledge of rock that's about the size of a small living room, and they're mocking me, and they're saying, Dan, you're supposed to be our fearless leader. Get down here with us. And so I do what any uh, full of fear, fearless leader does, and I get down, and I do the crab walk, and I'm scooting down this uh, not even very steep, but I know that at the end of the steep, there's this spot, right? And so I get there and I step to the edge of the Grand Canyon and, and I'm holding on to people and I'm, you know, I'm getting wide too, right? Like I'm, uh, yeah, everything that, that people who are kind of afraid of heights do when, when they're in that situation and, and, and I'm here, right? And I'm like, this is awesome. Get me away, right? And, and I hear this voice that's a, a park ranger that has brought a group up to the spot where uh, just a moment ago I had safely been enjoying God's beauty. And he says these words. He says, every year, between six and ten people fall off this spot. (laughs) Right? And so I am backing up, and I am up that ledge as quick as possible back with them. I have no need to see that beauty from that close. These pictures are really good enough for me. Uh, Fear uh, of heights is one of those things that that people say that I have. The truth is I'm not really scared of the heights. Uh, I'm scared of the low places that surround them, if you were to fall, right? And so we moved back to Grand Island where there are no heights. We moved here, there's, there's no hills. It's a safe place for me to be. Uh, like a lot of people, I have that health, healthy reverence of fear. Uh, but the truth is that there's a lot of areas of life where fear creeps in. We're stepping into week three of the art of neighboring. Last week, Parker, uh, who evidently has an East Coast alter ego named Paka, right? Uh, He shared with us and talked about the time barrier that we face and really brought life to the story from Luke chapter 10 about Mary and Martha and their interaction with Jesus. And two weeks ago, Dave Runyon, the author of the book, Art of Neighboring, Uh, that a lot of our groups are going through together. He was here and he kicked off the series by teaching through a conversation between Jesus and a teacher of the law and defining who our neighbors are. And today I'd like for us to focus on the eight verses that just lie in between those two moments of scripture. As Jesus often does, he answers a question Uh, and and especially a trick question, he answers it with a story. And so we're going to read starting in verse 30. So in reply to to the question of who really is my neighbor, Jesus said, 
A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho where he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, meaning that he would walk, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Look after him, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asked, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hand of, hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Uh, now, this passage, it, it begs a few questions of us, but really the big question in my mind is, what kept the priest and Levite from coming to the aid of this person who had been beaten up and, and robbed? And left for dead. Uh, and, and I've always thought, okay, well, these guys are religious leaders. Well, why not step up? It, by all indications, it looks like the man who's been beaten up, he's Jewish based on where he's traveling to and from, based on the fact that the Samaritan uh, is highlighted in this story because normally he wouldn't be allowed to associate with true Jewish people. And there's really only a couple of possibilities as to why they didn't step into the moment. And the first one is indifference. And understand that indifference is a big word and it represents this continuum between hatred and I just don't have time for that. It could be anywhere in there, but they walked by probably with their noses in, their air, in the air. That's how I picture this in my mind. They're too high and mighty to help the little guy. But as I started reading this in preparation for today, I realized there really might be a, a fear factor at play as well. See, this road was known to be a dangerous road. Uh, you could be mugged, you could be beaten up, you could be left for dead, and people knew it. And so it was unwise to travel this road alone. And really, we see all the characters in the story are doing exactly that. The, the fear that it might be a trap that whoever beat him up is waiting behind those bushes, and as I step in to help, I'll be the next victim. And it might have been the fear of, uh, and we can relate to this, I don't have the skills necessary to help this poor guy. Like, I, I'm not trained as a, as a doctor or even an EMT. Like, there's not much I can do to help the person. And so fear takes over, and we step past, he stepped past, they stepped past the opportunity. And then the last fear that maybe they struggled with was, uh, as religious leaders, they were probably on their way to a ceremony or a function of some kind, and they didn't want to be late. And the truth is, as a, as a religious leader, if, if you got blood on you, you would be ceremonially unclean. And so there's all kinds of fears that could have been going on in their mind that kept them from stepping into the moment. A couple of months ago, I saw that I was speaking 
on this topic of fear. And my first thought was, hey, I'm an expert on fear, no problem, right? I can just tell a story about the Grand Canyon and people will laugh a little bit and we'll be friends and, and then I can talk about some of the, the bigger parts of fear. See, I can be pretty good at looking at normal situations and imagining how it could end up in personal failure or dismemberment <laughs> or death. And most people don't see that side of me because I'm pretty good at putting on a happy face and making a little joke and, and just going with the attitude of, hey, this will be fun, let's do this. But my family, they see the look on my face as we wait in line for some dumb spinny ride at the amusement park, which is honestly a dumb name for a place, isn't it? Like you wait in line for over an hour in 100 degree heat to get on something that you know is going to make you physically ill. <laughs> some people who are the closest to me We've had numerous conversations about some of my phobias and some of my fears, the silly ones, but also the ones that can paralyze me. You see, I, I want you to hear this. I, I don't believe that fear is a sin. But at the same time, I, I don't want us to be people who live entangled in it or paralyzed by it. And that's the kind of God that we have. He gives us over 360 verses in the Bible encouraging us, don't be full of fear. Don't be afraid. God doesn't want us to be entangled by those fears, whether they're silly ones or serious ones. Michelle Poehler was one of the speakers at the Global Leadership Summit a couple of weeks ago. Some of you were here for that event or watched online and Michelle Poehler wrote this book called Hello Fears in which she chronicled 100 fears that she had in 100 days of, of tackling those fears, doing the little things, singing and dancing in public. Uh, I, I share that one. I make sure this microphone is off when I'm singing back here because nobody needs to hear that. And, and it brings, just saying that brings fear into my heart. Some of those fears that, that entangle us are silly, but some of them are pretty serious. And in her book, she, she identifies that all of our fears fit into one of these seven categories. And the categories are pain, danger, embarrassment, rejection, loneliness, control or lack of control, and disgust. And as I read her book over the last couple of weeks and thought about how fears often keep me, maybe keep us from really taking to heart the opportunity that we have to be great neighbors, I realized that my fears about neighboring and maybe the fears of the priest and the Levite we're having really do line up with these seven categories. A pain. And, and maybe this one doesn't affect you very much, but if you are asked to help a neighbor with a retaining wall, or garden work, or digging up a septic system, you know that the next day you face pain, and so maybe we want to uh, get away from that. Or maybe we're just going to have to deal with the pain as they go through painful situations in their life. Danger, we all live with this at some level, and the truth is we are trained to live with this, if you think about it. Whether you spend your time on Facebook or Twitter or the Nextdoor app, or you're just flipping between two opposing news channels, you're trained to be fearful of the people around you. We're, we're trained to be suspicious. 
See, fear has become this commodity. If we are fearful of the people or ideas around us, the odds are better that we'll be solid customers or adherence to the people or ideas that we most naturally gravitate towards. We've seen a lot of it over the last 18 months as people are fearful of each other, as people make ugly posts. Uh, The words, maybe I should post about this, have not solved very many problems in our world. Have you noticed that? Neither has the stance, I'm going to reply to that post. That doesn't get us anywhere. And so we live in this constant state of fear about the people around us. We we become suspicious of them, whoever them might be in your world. It really is the story of old man Marley and Kevin McAllister from Home Alone. And, uh, And I don't feel like I need to give you a spoiler alert because it's been out for 30 years. Like if you were going to see it, you should have seen it by now. But here's what we can agree on. That story ends, that movie ends far differently if Kevin doesn't face his fears and his perceptions of his neighbor. Maybe old man Marley doesn't live in your neighborhood, but maybe this guy does, right? (laughs) I have to give Taylor a little bit of credit. That actually was something he posted uh, on our our workplace chat this week, uh, asking what are we going to do this week to make all these after-school kids in in our program feel feel like they're having a fun time. And so it's not supposed to be scary. It's supposed to be fun. I think it's a little scary. Uh, and really, any chance I get to make fun of uh, a member of the Jones family, like, I'm going to take it. And so, and then the next one is embarrassment, which I'm probably going to face now, right? Now that I've made fun of him, he will reciprocate. The people who lived in our house before us, they were meticulous about their yard and about their flower gardens. And for me, like, our grass is still green, And I keep it mowed on a regular basis, but it doesn't look like it did. We don't wash the rocks individually in our household. And I worry that my neighbors are going to look down on me. You know, just last week, my wife informed me that this pretty purple thing that's been growing, and I was getting kind of proud about, she said, you know, that's a weed. And and my heart sunk a little bit because I thought I was doing something right. And I worry that maybe my neighbors will think less of me because there will never be a garden of the year sign in my front yard. And so I become hesitant to really interact with my neighbors appropriately. Add to that, my teenage son, he drives a really loud pickup. And he drives it really loudly. You know, you can drive a pickup in a, in a quiet way, but you can drive it in a loud way. And he does the latter. <laughs> and it's full throttle. And so several times I've said to a neighbor when I've met them, I've said, maybe you've seen our son, he drives a really loud pickup. And not joking, their response has been, oh, the silver Dodge? They're like, they know who he is. And, and I worry that, gosh, they're, they're, they're noticing for all the wrong reasons. Rejection is obvious, right? Uh, simply put, what if they're weirded out by my introduction or they think that I'm selling them something? What if I fail in this endeavor to be a good neighbor? neighbor? And if I'm rejected, then that's going to lead right back to loneliness. And and for me, try this one on. When they ask what you do after a few minutes and you say, well, I'm a a minister at a church over here. 
And they start to wonder, does he have a compound that he wants to take us to? Right? Is there some pamphlet? Is there some program that he's trying to get us into? And that sixth one, if, if I open myself up and they reciprocate, I could lose control of my time and my social calendar, and those things are pretty important to me. And so it's easier not to do that. It's easier not to become entangled in the lives of other people. It's, it's easier to pull the car up next to the mailbox, roll the window down, reach in, grab the mail, pull into the garage, hit the button, wait till it's all the way down, and then exit and go into my house through the garage door and not see those neighbors. I can keep more control of my life. And, and then the last one is disgust. What if I see something that doesn't meet my standards for cleanliness or morality or family or parenting? Or worse yet, what if they see something in me that disgusts them in that way? See, I'm sure that if we took turns, passed a microphone around, we could all share plenty of reasons about why it would just be easier not to do this neighboring thing. And you need to know this going into your week. See, this concept of neighboring is it's just as scary and intimidating to your neighbors as it is to you. But it's a good thing. It is a good thing to take steps back towards knowing and sharing life with the people around us. And it's become more difficult, right? Like if you live in a house that's been built in the last 30 years, you probably don't have a large front porch. Instead, you have a back deck surrounded by a privacy fence. You probably don't have a large living room anymore. The builder put in a large master suite because it's about our privacy. And maybe you don't have a dining room that would really work to host a bunch of people because instead you have an island in the kitchen where your family can retreat to and not be concerned with the people around you. And when we think about all of those fears, isn't it wild how our brains can be weaving a story of everything that can go wrong? I mean, other than what happens to me when I ride the spinning dragons, I can't really look at my list of fears and see that any of them come true on a consistent basis. Like, it's pretty obvious the wind gust didn't blow me off the Grand Canyon. Nobody's ever kicked me off their property because of a loud truck. On the contrary, you know what I've heard from almost everyone I've said that to? I've said, ah, it reminds me of when my boys were around. Enjoy it while you've got it. And a couple of weeks ago when I sheepishly apologized to my neighbor Mike because of the ivy that was growing up our shared chain link fence, he just looked at me and smiled and said, man, there's always something to do, isn't there? The judgment that I thought I was going to receive by opening up to my neighbors, it wasn't there. And while I've gotten a couple of double takes when people find out what I do for a living, we've still been invited to the fire pit in the neighbor's backyard. See, those fears have rarely come true. My friend Connie, who works here in our care ministry, she gave me this acronym for fear this week and simply false evidence appearing real. Maybe you need to write that down because maybe it's something that happens in your life on a regular basis that false evidence appears to be real in your life. 
I love the reminder that we get in 1 Peter chapter 3. It's one of my favorite passages in all of the Bible. It starts in verse 8. It says, finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers and sisters. Be compassionate and humble. Don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called. Who's going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you're blessed. Don't fear what they fear and don't be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Really, if you read that again, what you see is the recipe for really good neighboring. There's a whole lot of be in there. Be loving. Be sympathetic. Be compassionate. Be humble. And be prepared. You see, the art of neighboring, it's, it's not some trick we're playing to try to get you just to invite your friends, your neighbors to church. We want your relationships with your neighbors to be authentic with no strings attached. And so if you do invite and they're like, no, you should still be friends with them. You should still build that relationship. But what we do believe is that as you live as people of hope and as people who are looking for hope see your hope, they just might ask you about that hope. And you might have the opportunity to tell them what's changed in your world. See, what you're being called to are a couple different types of ministry. Last week, Parker called you to what John Ortberg calls the ministry of being interrupted. And that's modeled for us over and over and over again by Jesus. As he's going from one place to another, he's got places to be, but people would come up to him for healing or for conversation or whatever it was, and Jesus most important person in the history of the world would stop and he would spend time with people who needed to have time spent with them. See, our brains take a wonderful opportunity like neighboring and and just kind of automatically asks the question, what's the worst that could happen? And Michelle Michelle Poehler in her book would, would simply suggest that we flip that around and we ask, what's the best that could happen? What's the best that could happen if I walk across the yard to my neighbor? What's the best that could happen if I'm interrupted as I'm walking through the neighborhood? When the story of my life is completely written someday, I don't want to play the part of the priest or the Levite in my story. I don't want to play that. And the truth is, too many times I've walked by on the other side. I've seen opportunities, and I've been too busy or I've, I've been too indifferent, or I've been too fearful, and I haven't stepped into the opportunities that God has given. There's too many scenarios where I've let that complacency and fear dominate my actions. And I go day by day, week by week, jumping through the, the right religious hoops, just like the priest and Levite did. I read the right things, I say the right things, I pray the right prayers and understand this. None of those things are bad. They're incredible ways of being filled up. 
But understand this, if there is no opportunity for outflow, you will become stagnant. And you will likely become like a Pharisee. And that's not how I want my story to read. And I don't think it's how you want your story to read either. So what if? What if you pulled that portable fire pit into the driveway instead of the backyard and you set up a few extra chairs and you offer s'mores or a cold drink to people who are walking by? Or you just knock on your neighbor's door and invite them to the fire? Or what if when you see the it's a girl or it's a boy sign pop up in someone in your neighborhood, you see it pop up in their yard, what if you were first to get there with a bundle of diapers or a home-cooked meal or a gift card that would help them and, and, and a greeting card that says congratulations with your name on there? What if you started looking for those opportunities to go beyond knowing their name to knowing a little bit about their story? What if you let your imaginations go to work on what that looked like in your life and in your neighborhood? You know, Jesus had a moment in his life where he kind of wanted to take a pass on what he was called to do. He was in the garden the night before he was arrested, and he asked God, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And I don't think Jesus was afraid of the pain, the beating, the nails. I think what he was afraid of was the the rejection and the separation that was going to have to take place between him and his God. But because he took on my sins and your sins, he faced that rejection. And he went through it despite those misgivings, despite that fear that wanted to well up in his heart. And he knew that his mission was going to bring to us what we can't get for ourselves. It was going to bring purpose. It was going to bring peace. And it was going to bring relationship. It was going to give us a life that really matters and an eternity that will go on forever in his presence. And that mission, it made it necessary for him to take on that punishment, the rejection that we deserved. Aren't you glad? Aren't you full of worship this morning? Because he put on flesh and moved into the neighborhood. So Lord, we take this minute, this moment in our service, where we share in a little piece of bread that represents the body of Christ and we take a cup of juice, reminds us of his blood shed for us. And we simply say thank you for moving into our neighborhood. Pray all that in Jesus' name, amen. Just a few years ago, I was standing with my family. We were uh, in Mexico and we are doing one of those excursions, and it was all my favorite things, like zip lines and jumping and, you know, diving and caves and all that, that stuff that we pay to do for some reason. And it was towards the end of the day, and there was only one more element of the excursion left. And we were walking up this natural staircase, and I could start to tell what it was. And there was a cliff, about a 25-foot jump into a 
deep pool of water. There was also a chicken exit. <laughs> but I didn't want to be that guy. And so as we got to the, to the ledge, like a loving dad and husband, I pushed my wife and my kids out of the way because I knew if I didn't just do it, if I didn't just jump, that I probably would take the chicken exit. I didn't die. <laughs> didn't even come close. Within a few seconds, Angela and Lindsay and Gabe were down there in the water with me and one of our kind of prized family memories that we did that together. I'm tired of standing like this in life, right? I'm tired of bracing myself when it comes to taking risk. I'm tired of living in fear when I don't need to. Because there is another one that's with us. He goes into every circumstance, every situation with us. And he promises us to that. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, God has not given us a, a spirit of fear and timidity. Rather, he's filled us with power and love. What if we lived like we actually believed that were true? Thanks for listening to the Third City Christian Church Podcast. Please join us for one of our worship services at 9, 10, 15, or 11.30 a.m. in Grand Island and at 10, 15 a.m. in Broken Bow on Facebook Live and at thirdcityc.online.church each Sunday. For more information about Third City Christian Church, send email to podcast at thirdcityc.org. Call us at 308-384-5038 or visit us online at thirdcityc.org.